Okay, I get to bring the message today, and I'm so excited. I'm so honored, so thank you that I get to, I get to be here. And so we're, we're jumping into the book of Luke. So prayers up that this works. Let's go. Okay, yes, success, Charles. Uh, so we're in the book of Luke. So if you have your Bible or your phone, uh, Luke 6 is where we're going to be. And as you're turning there or scrolling there on version, let me just give you a little background on the book of Luke. At, at first glance, it's just like any other book, but the truth is that Luke is a really different book than any other book in the New Testament. It is written by the only non-Jewish author in the New Testament, and that is Luke, and he writes it to a non-Jewish audience, which is really, really unique. Um, so Luke is an outsider of the Jewish faith, and he is writing to other outsiders. So the, the style of writing that we see in the New Testament, which is primarily, uh, maybe not primarily, but, but part of it is to Jewish readers, that style is not seen in Luke. We see a totally different style because it is written to a totally different audience, which is really cool. One of the major themes in Luke, and, and Garen will talk about this in later messages, is something that we're going to camp out on today and really dive into, and it's called the upside-down kingdom, okay? It's, uh, it's, this, it's this thing that we want to be a part of, and we're going to explain it, but, but we got to know what it is. We got to know how to be a part of it because this is the Jesus movement. And so this is where we're sitting today is what is this upside down kingdom and how do I be a part of it? How do I live in it? How do I stay in it? So that's kind of where we're going to plant our flag and set up shop for the day. So let's start. What is the upside down kingdom? Because this, this is a weird thing to you probably. The upside down kingdom is Jesus' way of operating. It's the way that he lived, okay? It goes against everything that we as human beings think to be natural or normal. On its face, it doesn't look like it makes sense to us. And it's the realm in which he invites us to abide with him if we're going to be his followers. It's, it's where we live, and it's the kingdom, kingdom that we look to expand if we're going to follow Jesus. The upside-down kingdom rubs against the grain of what is expected, right? It, it really inverts everything, that we're, and we're going to see that as we get into this later here. And Luke is chock full of upside-down kingdom moments. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I'll give you a few. First of all, in Luke 1, right off the bat, Mary, a single young girl of no status whatsoever, is asked to carry the Messiah. That's pretty contrarian. And then you see her song of thanksgiving in Luke 1 to God, and this is what she says. She says, God, you have brought down the rulers from their thrones. You have lifted up the humble. You have filled the hungry with good things, and you have sent the rich away. Anyone reading this in the first century would have been like, God, why are you flipping everything upside down? Why is Mary saying this? But it's really setting the stage for the book of Luke because God is going to flip everything. A little later in, uh, in chapter 3, we see the baptism of Jesus. Yes, Jesus is not doing the baptizing. He is being baptized. Our Messiah, our King, is taking the same posture that we do by being baptized and living it out as an example. We wouldn't think we would see that from our Messiah King. Uh, in chapter 4, Jesus walks into the temple and proclaims himself Messiah. He, he goes into the temple. He reads Torah. He opens up the Isaiah scroll and goes to chapter 61. They didn't have chapter 61 back then. But we know it as Isaiah 61. And he says this, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He declares himself Messiah. And he says, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. He has sent me to set the oppressed free. Now the Jews were looking for a Messiah, but they thought he was going to be this buff military leader who was going to take out the Roman armies. They weren't looking for this unbecoming guy to come into the temple and, and just talk about a redistribution of wealth. That's not what they were expecting at all. 
we look at the first two converts of the gospel in the book of Luke. Can you think of who the first one is? The first one to respond to the death and resurrection of Jesus? Well, it was really his death at this point, but it was the, the uh, criminal that hung on the cross next to him, right? The first person that Jesus says, hey, because of your faith, I'm going to see you in paradise today. And the second one, can you think of who it is? It's the Roman centurion who kneels at the cross and says, surely this was the Son of God. These are the first two converts to the gospel, right? People who were looked down on by, by the Jewish people, people who oppressed them or, or who robbed and stole from them. But Jesus says, you guys are the first ones that get to come into the kingdom. The last one that I'll mention, like I said, there's much more, but we'll just end here, is the role of women in Luke. We mentioned that Mary, this girl of no status, gets to carry the Messiah, but I think the most compelling uh, piece of evidence for the, the elevated role of women in Luke, and really evidence that the, that the resurrection is true, is that a group of women were the first to see Jesus in the garden, right? You got to understand that back then, the word of a woman didn't mean anything. They, their eyewitness testimony wasn't even admissible in court right? So the fact that Jesus chooses to reveal himself to a group of women first to kick off this gospel explosion is really countercultural. It's really contrarian. He could have revealed himself to a man of power, and this man had authority, and he could have gotten the ball rolling much quicker, but he didn't. He chose to involve women because that's the way he rolls. Everything is inverted. That's the way of Jesus. In Luke, we see the advent of the upside-down kingdom of Jesus and this is where we want to live as Jesus followers. This is what we're looking to expand as his people. But here's the deal. The upside down kingdom is not the most prevalent kingdom here on earth. The right side up kingdom dominates this world. We live in it. We see it all the time, right? We see the effects of it. So what is this right side up kingdom? The right side up kingdom is the value system of the world. It's kind of what we were born into here on earth. It's what the world says is valuable and not valuable. It assesses merit based on human wisdom, not what on God says. It says, follow your flesh, follow your heart, follow your brains, what you think is right. We're going to talk more about this later, but it's very naturalistic and it's very materialistic, meaning it says, this is all there is, so get yours while you can. Whatever feels right and natural to you, do it, because this is what we're here for. The upside-down kingdom contradicts the norms of this world. It, it goes against the status quo it butts heads with the right side up kingdom all the time. In fact, what we see are these two kingdoms inhabiting space here on earth and they are right up against each other. In fact, they're touching and they're fighting for territory all the time. These two kingdoms are so close and yet their values could not be more opposite. And if, you, if you're a fan of Stranger Things, then the upside down rings with you, right? We got a little more college uh, attendance here in this one. The 30 Nova crowd was not so down with Stranger Things, but maybe you guys are, I don't know. But the upside down in Stranger Things, I'll, I'll explain it quickly and simply, is this alternate reality that really exists over the top of, of reality, and they, they occupy the same space, but they are very, very different. And so if that helps you understand what we're talking about here, then it does. If you've never seen Stranger Things, that's fine. There's going to be lots of other illustrations for you. We'll just let that one go for now. Let's jump into Luke 6. If you have your Bible ready, we're going to read Luke 6. We're going to go 24 to 26, and these are the words of Jesus. So he says this. He says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, 
for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Now, I know what you're thinking. Man, Jordan, you get the post-Easter spot, and this is the rousing text you come to us with, the four woes of Jesus. Well, here's the deal. This isn't the most, like, uplifting text, but it is a deeply, deeply important one if we're going to follow Jesus well. Because what Jesus is doing here is he is calling out woes against the four pillars of what we would call the right side up kingdom. The four things that the world says, this is your bar, this is what you shoot for, make your life about this. Now guys, I see a big problem right off the bat. And the problem is that I want to be wealthy. The problem is that I work hard in order to be prosperous. The problem is that I love to laugh, right? That's why I hired Lucas as a volunteer, because I just love to laugh. The, pro- the other problem is that I love when people say good things about me. I love human praise. And so before I even teach this to you, I've got to take stock and be like, am I a faker? Like, I say I'm following Jesus, but I love these things that he's calling woes against. I, 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 I like when they're in my life. So what's going on here? Am I living in the wrong kingdom? Well, the truth is this, guys, that Jesus has no issue with money, right? Jesus spent money. Jesus has blessed many of us with money. Jesus has no issue with prosperity, right? Many of his parables praise wise business dealings who gain a profit because they've, they've acted wisely, they've acted shrewdly. He has no issue with laughter, right? We know that Jesus laughed often with his disciples, that he, his burden was easy and his yoke was light. He was easygoing. We also know that he made KU football, so he loves laughter as well, you know, like K-State, just consider that your one, because that's the only time I'm going to talk about about KU. So, <laughs> Lastly, we know he has no issue with human praise. Jesus praised people who showed genuine faith in him. So what is the deal? Because he's calling woes against this, and yet we know he lived in a way that didn't totally excommunicate these things from his life. So is Jesus one big contradiction? Like, what is he really upset with? Well, here's the thing. Garen, uh, I think it was last year, sometime, time, last year sometime, he taught a series on deep idols, right? Oh, sorry, we missed that one. The four pillars of the right side up. Um, Garen taught this series on deep idols, essentially talking about the sins that lurk underneath the surface of the things that get in the way of our life, right? So there's always something that's rooted deep underneath the, the surface level sins in our life. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus has no issue with these four things. He is trying to speak down to the root issue underneath them. So let's talk about these root idols, these root uh, sins that, uh, that can get in our way that he's really speaking against. The first one, Jesus speaks against wealth. And the idol underneath wealth is power. It's this idea that when you have money, you can rule the world. When you have money, you can do whatever you want. You can exert your will on others. You're free to move about the cabin, right? You can just do whatever you want to do. The second one he talks about is prosperity. And what is under prosperity is this idol of comfort. It's this idea that I need to be prosperous. I need to earn a really good living to uphold my standard of living. I, I expect and I have to have a certain level of comfort or else I'm not going to be right. I have to be served. I do not seek to serve. That is what is underneath this idea of prosperity. The third one's really odd because it's laughter. It's like, man, this isn't even close to a sin. Like, how is Jesus calling out woes on this? But here's the thing. In the Greek, this word laugh, he says, woe to you who laugh. 
is not like, ha ha, you told a funny joke laugh. It's not that kind of laugh. It's more like the laugh of someone who has overcome their enemies and has, has been victorious. So like you run the race, you win, you turn around and you laugh at your enemy. That's the kind of laughter we're talking about. It's the laughter of someone who wins an election and stands on the podium on election night and laughs at his, the people who ran against him because he has won, right? So it's this laugh of victory. And so this idol underneath laughter is really this idol of success. It's the need to be successful. It's the need to not fail, right? to be successful and to appear so. The last one's fairly obvious. Underneath human praise is this idol of recognition that I need people to say good things about me. It affects my identity so deeply if you don't think good things about me and I need to be recognized for the things that I've accomplished. You see, what's going on here is that Jesus sees the dangerous idols that lurk beneath these things and he sees how easily we orient our life around these four things. He sees their ability to pull our eyes off of him and put it on itself. He knows that we're so susceptible to these four things. And isn't this just like Jesus, right? Rather than just going and like snipping the tops off the dandelions, he pulls it up by the roots. Rather than just addressing surface level sin and saying, hey, try really hard and don't do that, he digs deep into our hearts and says, what's underneath that ugliness? And let's root that out. Let's pull that out. This is the way of Jesus. He shows us even more later in, in Luke 6 on, in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you guys think these things are wrong, but I'm going to tell you what's really wrong with them. He redefines things in their culture like murder, divorce, adultery, giving of tithe, and prayer. He says, you guys think that you are so holy because you don't technically do these things, but what matters to me is so far beneath the surface, it's the heart attitude. And that's exactly what he's talking about here with the woes. The other issue that Jesus has with these things is that they fall under the umbrella of the now. All of these things are to be enjoyed in the here and now. They are rooted in the now. In my translation of Luke 6, 24 to 26, Jesus uses the word now three times. And so it's clear that he is denouncing those who choose to live their lives for this life only and not think about the next life. He's denouncing those who choose to put all their eggs in the basket of the right now because not only is it sinful, but it's unwise. This is the first question I want to ask you today. We're going to do a little introspection, okay? But this is the first one. Ask yourself this. Will you live for the now? And will you build your kingdom today just the way that you want it? Or will you put your hope in his kingdom in something that is not yet here in full? Because it is so easy to make your life about your kingdom and to build it just the way you want it right now. But that's not what he calls us to, and that's what he's calling against with these four woes. And I know that in church, everyone knows the right answer on this screen. Oh, well, obviously for the kingdom, right? We, we get that. But outside these walls, man, it is hard not to live for the now. It is so incredibly tough not to root ourselves in the moment. It's human nature, right? Buy now, make payments later. Um... Take this pill now. You don't have to work out. You can just get slim that way because we don't want you to be uncomfortable right now, right? You got to be comfortable right now. In the Bible, we see, the, uh, we see the, the son who asked for the inheritance of his father before he even dies because he wants a good time now. We see Esau who trades in his birthright for a literal cup of stew because he's hungry in that moment. It's foolishness, but it's human nature, and we haven't changed in 2,000 years our hearts are rooted in the now. We want it right now, and we want it the way that we want it. 
And I have to say this, guys, if, if the world really was all there was, if, if this earth is all that existed and there was nothing on the other side, man, these principles would dominate and they should because if this world is all there is, then yeah, wealth, prosperity, laughter, and praise, that is worthy of my life because that's all there is. That is the end all be all. But here's the thing. If this world is not all there is, it doesn't make sense. If this world is not all there is, then living according to these things is lunacy. It's crazy to put all your eggs in the basket of this life if indeed there is something after this life. Now here's the thing, guys. I need to convince you of this first and foremost today. I need to convince you that these values of the right side up kingdom, as as attractive as they are to you and me, they're not worth it and they're not good for you. Okay, because it doesn't matter if I come up here and I pitch to you that we need to leave the right side up and go to the upside down. If you are still in love with the right side up, if if your heart still belongs to wealth and prosperity and laughter and praise, if those are the things that you're anchored in, you're not leaving, right? I can't drag you into this kingdom across the line into the upside down. You have to willingly put down the values of the right side up and you have to walk across into the upside down and pick up the values of Jesus. I can't do it for you. And so my first step is to convince you that the right side up is not all that it seems, that it's, it's not going to deliver what it promises you. Because if I don't, you'll never, ever leave it. So what we're going to do first is we're going to have kind of a matrix moment here, okay? In the matrix, Neo is presented with a choice. He can take the blue pill and he can keep living his life on the hamster wheel and he will be none the wiser. He'll just live his boring life or what he thinks is real, and he'll die, and it'll be fine. Or he can take the red pill, right? And he can choose reality, and he can choose to be woken up to to what is real. And it's a much harder choice, but he will actually be rooted in what is true and what is right, okay? So I present this as a a choice to you, but you really don't have a choice because I gave you red starburst, not blue starburst. So you have to take the red pill today, and you have to be ready to confront reality. So hopefully there's a starburst near you. Lots of kids ate them first service, so we kind of ran out. But every other chair probably has one, so pop that if you, uh, if you need to. Okay, so here's the first thing that I want to pull back the curtain on with the right, right Side Up Kingdom, okay? I need you to know that, first of all, we have been trained by society to have a lust for affluence, okay? We have been trained by society to have a lust for affluence. The author Richard Foster, who I value so much, says... We are pressured to buy things that we don't need or enjoy to impress people we don't like. So often, that is where we are. Think about this. This lust for affluence, for for position, for power, for wealth, it is really, it starts when we're kids. It has seeped down into our fairy tales, into our movies. I mean, think about all these stories. Every good story is a story of rags to riches, it is always of someone who starts in poverty and, and makes the ascent to status, to wealth, to power, right? It's not a good story for a prince or someone rich to voluntarily lower themselves and live a humble life of poverty. That's not a story. These are the stories that we want to see, right? This is human nature. We have to become more. We have to achieve more. And if you're looking at this and you're like, man, did Jordan really watch Made in Manhattan? He did. And it holds up. J-Lo crushes it. I'm not even going to lie to you. It's really good. So watch it if you need to. Um, Okay, so that's the first thing. There is this lust for affluence that we have been trained to have. The second thing is there exists something called psychological obsolescence. I know you guys are the second service crowd and you sleep in, so I'm going to say that again. Psychological obsolescence, okay? 
this is what this is. It's this idea that you should feel bad about using things until they wear out. You should, you should just buy things because they're new, because you need something new and shiny, right? Who uses something until it's worn out and done? That's not, that's not what's cool. Get something new, right? The world makes us feel bad for wearing clothes until they have holes in them or driving a car until it dies for the last time, right? What do we see? We see this consumeristic mindset where we're always supposed to have the new stuff, the nice stuff, not even because we want it, but because we're trying to keep up with somebody else. In society's eyes, to be out of step with what is new and current is to be out of touch with reality. I mean, think about it. You see somebody driving a junky car, maybe an O2 Civic, right? Or you see somebody with clothes that aren't the nicest or newest, and maybe part of your flesh is like, maybe there's not some self-awareness there. Or maybe they want to do better, but they can't. It's just this thing that is so ingrained to us, like, we've got to be the best. We've got to buy the best. And it's just a total lie. And this is one of the reasons that I trust Garen so much. Because this man has been rocking New Balance for like 20 years. Okay? He is not chasing trends. He is rooted in what he wants. I said that this morning, and like for the first time ever, he didn't wear New Balance. So I was like, gosh, this falls flat. But yeah, I mean, the New Balance trend has like come and gone. I think it's on the upswing again. Like Garen is back at the peak of fashion. So if you see him wearing the New Balance, be like, oh, Garen, nice kicks, dude. And then he'll Google kicks and he'll know what you're talking about. Um, Here's the deal. Guys, the truth is that the society we live in it, it values the wrong things. It's as simple as that. It elevates the things that don't deserve to be elevated. And I don't know if this is the right word, but this is what comes to my mind. It's sick. Like there's something wrong with it. It doesn't work the way it's supposed to. It's a sickness. And, and we have to realize that. We have to realize that it's not the way that it should be. There's a Seinfeld quote that I really love, and I've been waiting to preach Seinfeld forever now, so I'm excited. But there's this scene in Seinfeld where George Costanza walks into his girlfriend's kitchen, and there's a trash can, and the the trash is up above the lid because it's, like, super full. And on top of the trash is this eclair that hasn't been eaten. Like, it's a perfect eclair, but it's sitting on the trash. And so George, being kind of a trashy human being, goes over and kind of, like, looks around and slowly takes a bite of the eclair. Well, his girlfriend walks in, and it's a big deal. And later, he's rehashing this with Jerry. And he's like, Jerry, it wasn't in the trash. It was on the trash. And he's trying to validate himself. And Jerry hits him with this axiom that I love. I, it makes me laugh every time I think about it. He says, George, don't you know, adjacent to refuse is refuse, right? And I just think that's so funny. And here's the deal. Just like adjacent to refuse is refuse, conformity to a sickness is a sickness. We've got to know that. It's not enough for us to just call out society and say, Man, that's so messed up. How do people value that stuff? That's so, that's so bad. Oh, when are we buying like the new car or the new boat? Or when are we getting the new stuff? Because we've had this for a year. It's not enough to just say it's wrong. Guys, we're, we're supposed to look different. Like our lives are supposed to be different as Jesus followers. That doesn't mean it's a sin to buy something new. But, but man, look at your heart. Are you buying the new stuff just because you feel like you need to? Is there this unconscious, below-the-surface lust for affluence that drives what you do? These are questions we have to wrestle with if we're gonna if we're gonna follow Jesus well into the into the upside down kingdom. And guys, I tell you all this because there is something more to life. There is something more than what the right side up has to offer you. It's called the upside down. It's called the values of Jesus because his values are totally opposite of the world. 
In Luke 6, Jesus rejects society's barometers of happiness because he knows that we were created for something more. He tells us that we don't have to live in service of these four things, that we don't have to live our lives as a part of the rat race trying to get as much of these things as we can, right? Wealth, prosperity, laughter, and praise. He replaces those things with his own values. The values of Jesus are weakness, sacrifice, grief, and exclusion. And at first you're like, these aren't doing it for me. These are not as cool as the world's values. No, thank you. And you're right, like on its face, who trades in the world's values for these things? These things are brutal. Nobody wants these. Like laughter for grief. Grief is hard if you've ever lost somebody. You know grief is so hard. Who would want that for themselves? Well, here, here's what we gotta remember is that these four pillars of the right side up, they are rooted in the now. They are good for us right now and right now only. And here's the thing is that the now is always coming to an end. The now is always coming to an end. And one day it will come to its final end. I mean, think about this. Every now that you have ever experienced has come to an end. If you have kids, doesn't matter what age they are, it seems like they were babies yesterday. Like it happens so much faster than you think and that's never coming back because the now is shifting. How often do we have conversations with people and they're like, man, can you believe it's April already? Or can you believe it's spring? Or can you believe it's already, you know, this or that? Like the now is always shifting. We are always losing it. So, so yeah, the values of Jesus don't look good and the values of the right side up on its face look great. But why would you put your eggs in the, new, in the now basket? You know that is always gonna fade. It's constantly fading. You've gotta put your eggs somewhere else. The truth is that one day, the power that you seek with your wealth is not gonna be useful to you anymore. The truth is that your prosperity one day will no longer be able to keep you comfortable. The truth is that one day, your successes and your records, they're gonna be outdone. Like someone will eclipse you, they will forget your name, and that stuff won't matter anymore. There'll be no more reason for laughter. And the the last truth is that, you know, the praise and recognition that you seek from others one day, it's not going to be enough or it's not going to matter. These things are so important today, but they will not matter down the road. And, you know, some people think it's crazy to trade the world's values for Jesus' values. But in light of eternity, I actually think that it's really crazy to live for the now. In fact, it's stupid to live for the now if you know there is something after this. The main difference in these two kingdoms, the upside down and the right side up, is really based in a, in a reversal of values. And the commentator Michael Wilcox says this so, so well. He says this, in the life of God's people, it will be seen, first of all, a remarkable reversal of values. The people of God will prize what the world calls pitiable, and they will suspect what the world calls desirable. So what this is saying is the true Jesus followers, they're gonna have a total reversal of their values um, according to the world. The true Jesus followers, they're gonna look at what the world uh, prizes and they're gonna call it pitiable. And, and they're, gonna, they're gonna see what the world values and they're gonna be very suspect of it. It's totally opposite of, of what culture is seeing it. And this is the mark of a true Jesus follower. And so what I did was, I Googled reversal of values to try and come up with like a a really good illustration for you guys, but I got this, which was not helpful at all. I don't know why this is 
the first image on reversal of values, but it is. But I put it up because I know the Hollenbecks are watching from home today, and this is probably the most exciting part of the sermon for Brian. So I'm going to give him a second to solve every problem on that page, and then we'll be done with it. Because there's a much better illustration, a much better picture for you guys. This is much more in line with what a reversal of values looks like for a Jesus follower. On its face, it's like, whoa, what? What is going on here? But it works, right? Because our values are different than the values of the world. We're not supposed to look like them. We're not supposed to value the same things as them. We're supposed to walk a different way. Not because, not because of any other reason that is that Jesus has told us this is what's right for us. And we're supposed to walk in obedience to him. But here's the deal. We haven't forgotten these values of Jesus and how hard they are to follow, right? Who can prize the things that Jesus tells us to prize. I mean, look back at Wilcox says, he says, we're supposed to prize the things the world calls pitiable, right? You're supposed to prize grief? Have you ever grieved? It's horrible. Why would I prize that? I'm supposed to prize uh, exclusion? Have you ever been excluded from something? It's brutal. Why would I prize that? Well, guys, here's the thing. We've got to know that there's a huge difference between prizing something and seeking it out. Just because we prize something doesn't mean we seek it out. I'm not looking for ways to live in poverty. If I was, I could be living in poverty tomorrow. It's not hard. I'm not looking for things to grieve. I'm not going out and, and, and looking all the time to grieve. But here's what it means to prize something. It means that when one of these things comes to us, we're able to see its value and we're able to grow because of it. That's what it means to prize these things. Not that we seek them out and love them, but when they come into our lives, they don't destroy us. In fact, they're of value to us because they grow us. Now, we're not talking about asceticism, which says, I must renounce all pleasure in this world. I must never be happy. I must never have nice stuff. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that creation was made good and it was made for us to enjoy. So Jesus is not saying never enjoy anything. He is not getting rid of all pleasure. He is simply putting it in its proper place. I think about this pendulum illustration from, uh, from the book, Sipping Saltwater, that we read during that Idols series last year. And in it, it talks about how there's, there's things in our lives, we can either push them to one side and make them garbage and say, I never want to see this thing ever. And that's too far. We shouldn't do that. And then there's other things in our lives. We can, we can swing them over here and make them God and say, oh, this is the end all be all. This is what completes me. And we know that's not healthy either. What we should do with all these things, the good and the bad, the success, the wealth, the recognition, the grief, the exclusion, we should put it right in the middle because it is a gift from God. We should neither value it so highly or detest it so much that we make our life about it or, or cast it from our presence. Everything is in the middle. Everything is a gift from God. It is a literal blessing. The word blessing means something that comes into your life that brings you closer to God. And these good things and these bad things can be blessings if we put them right in the middle and we hold them loosely. In fact, a follower of Jesus should be able to take anything that we've talked about today and say, I could take this thing or I could leave it. I could take success or I could leave it. It doesn't end my life if I'm not successful. I could take grief or I could leave it. If it comes, I'm gonna use it, I'm gonna grow. I'm, my life's not over because I experience it. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. So what is the one thing that we do hold ultimate? Well, is, it is uh, what Jesus says in Matthew 6, He says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all things will be added to it. So all these things are not ultimate to us, but the kingdom is. It is our North Star. It is the thing that drives us ultimately. 
So as we think through all this stuff, many of us, we probably find ourselves straddling the spiritual fence because our heart and our will are over here in the upside down. Like, yes, Jesus, I'm with you. I want to live this way. But we feel our flesh like keeping one leg in the right side up. We're kind of somewhat rooted over here because it is so hard not to live for the now. So how do I know where I am? How do I know what kingdom I'm living in? We need some sort of a self-assessment to determine our kingdom location, right? Some kind of a GPS to tell me where exactly am I am on this continuum. Well, here's a litmus test to do just this, okay? We're going to determine for ourselves our kingdom location this morning. We're going to do it by, by doing this. Ask yourself this, okay? A little more introspection here. Ask yourself this. What is my response when one of the four right-side-up kingdom values is taken from me? Think about that. Wealth, prosperity, laughter, praise, or if we're thinking about the idols that lurk underneath, power, comfort, success, recognition. If any of these things are stripped from me, how do I react? What happens, right? Do you get thrown into an uproar? Is it obvious to everyone around you that something's been taken from you because it bothers you so much? Or do you prize the things of the upside down kingdom and you, you put these things in the middle and you say, you know what, I could take or leave these things because my identity's in Jesus. It's not in any of this stuff. When we see these things get taken from us, the, the Jesus response is to get better, not get bitter, right? It's to allow us, it's a, to allow ourselves to be grown by these things and to not shudder at the, fa- at the thought of like, oh man, I might have to be excluded or... Or to, on the other side, to say, oh, I've got this thing. This is my ultimate, right? We keep everything right in the middle. Let's do a little more introspection. Think about this for real. If you lost your job tomorrow, what would that do to you? Think about that. If you lost your house or your car, what would that do to you? If you failed miserably at something, what would that do to you? If someone critiqued you harshly or said unkind things either to you or about you, what would that do to you? Is your flag, your flag of identity planted on any of those hills that you would crumble if any of those things happened? That's a question we have to wrestle with today. And guys, we often think that money and success and comfort and approval, we think that they're freeing things. We think that they're vessels. They're going to take us where we want to go. If I can just get this thing, I'm going to be the person I need to be, or I need to get the girl I'm going to get, or I'm going to get the job, or I'm going to whatever. And if I just do this, then I can do it. But the truth is this, that more often than not, you are living as a slave to those things. That they're, they're not really serving you, you're serving them. Think about this scenario. You have a job. And this job is asking you to do something against your morals. And if you don't do it, you're going to be fired, right? So what do you do? Well, if you're somebody who lives in service of your wealth, your recognition, your success, your prosperity, your comfort, well, then you're in a really tight spot because you can't quit. You live for the paycheck. You live for the recognition. You live for the level of comfort you've got, and so you don't know what to do. You're stuck. You're a slave. What about the Jesus follower? What about the one who holds all things loosely? They tell you this, and you say, you know what? That stinks but I don't need this job. My identity's not in it. I'm not gonna do what you asked me to do and I don't have to because I don't need this. My identity is rooted somewhere else, right? 
I'm free to go do what I need to do elsewhere. I'm not a slave to anything here. I'm going to say this, and if you're taking notes, write it down, because this, this is really key. The degree to which you strain to remain indifferent towards these things is a pretty good indicator of what kingdom you're living in. The degree to which you strain to let go of those things, or the, the degree to which you shudder when you hear about exclusion and grief and, and those other things and poverty, man, the degree to which you have to strain to let those things go is a pretty good indicator of where you're living at. So let's say this. Let's say I know where I'm living. I've just done some introspection. I've just taken the litmus test. I didn't pass with flying colors. I'm not fully rooted in the upside-down kingdom, so how do I get there? Or if I did well and I am living in the upside-down, how do I stay there? Because I want to be here forever. Well, I want to close with three inner attitudes really quickly because I know I'm just about at my time. I want to close with three inner attitudes that affect our outer lives in big ways if we let them. These three inner attitudes have the power to absolutely kill the idols that Jesus is calling out in Luke 6 if we can live by these three things. Number one is that what I, whoops, is that what I have, I have received as a gift from God. When you view everything you have as a gift that you have received instead of something that you have earned, there is no place for pride in that. There is no place in your recognition in that. There's no need for it because it's a gift you've been given. Number two is that who I am is rooted in Jesus. And when, you'll find that when you're rooted in Jesus, you're not going to feel a need to control everything. You're not going to feel a need to... Uh, man, I lost my notes. You're not going to feel a need to be in power all the time. You're not going to feel a need to always succeed at everything because your identity is not in those things. Not everything has to go well for me all the time because my identity lies elsewhere that is much more secure. And the last inner attitude that can affect our outer lives is how I live is available to the needs of others because I am not living to uphold a certain standard of comfort for myself. I am not enslaved to my own comfort, right? I do not have to live in service of myself all the time. I am free to give things away. I am free to let people use my stuff. I am free to give a week of my life to go to Mexico and serve because I'm not about myself, right? I, my, my goals, my, the things I desire are bigger than just me. As we wrap up here, guys, I hope so much that you are able to see the words of Jesus in Luke 6 for what they really are because so often they get read as an assault on your circumstances in life. Oh, I've laughed, I'm a sinner. Oh, I have some wealth, I'm a sinner. And that's not what Jesus is doing. He's not leading an assault on your life. He is inviting you to abandon the now lifestyle and live for the not yet. It's an invitation to reorient yourself to the gospel. And when we do the hard work of looking inside and asking, at my core, do I value the same things Jesus does? When we ask ourselves that, we can begin to recalibrate our hearts to the upside-down kingdom, and we can plant our flag there, which is the most secure place to put it. I'm going to end with this. In Daniel 5, there's a story of a king named Belshazzar, okay? And Belshazzar, he's not a good king. He is not living the way that God wants him to. And one night, he throws this huge party, right? There's drinking, there's dancing, the Bible says he invited his concubines and his wives into the same room, which is a pretty volatile situation. So you know he was really like going all out for this thing, right? He's having this big party. Well, here's the thing. That very night, God writes on the wall and he tells him, Belshazzar, tonight your kingdom will be taken from you and your very life will be taken from you. Your celebration has come to an abrupt end. You're done. I'm cutting you off. 
And God is good on his promise because that night he sends the Medes, a, a rival, uh, a rival, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, a rival nation to, uh, to come and to take them out. And they kill Belshazzar and they take, his, they take his kingdom from him. And so Belshazzar, he had his one big party before his destruction, right? He had his one big hurrah before it all ended. And I'll bet if he could go back and change it, he would. I'll bet he would go back and say that one big party wasn't worth my death, wasn't worth me losing my kingdom. And so the challenge that I leave you with here today and the challenge that I say to myself as I leave is that we cannot make the same mistake as Belshazzar. We cannot live our lives for the now, living it up now, making our life about ourselves, building our kingdom our way. We've got to have longevity. We've got to, have, uh, we've got to be able to see a long ways down the road right? Because this life is not all there is. We cannot live for the now. We've got to live for the not yet. And so we've got to heed the four woes of Jesus. We've got to read these four woes and know what they are and not just skim over them because they don't make sense to us, but know that they are addressing things that we need to give up. And we need to embrace the values of Jesus. We need to prize these things that the world calls pitiable because that is what Jesus has called us to. And ultimately it is good for us. And so as we leave this place, let's leave the right side up behind. Let's be done valuing the things of the world and let's walk a new way because we are the people of Jesus and that's what he's called us to do. Not to, not to walk the same way everyone else is, but to do a different thing because he's called us to something higher. So that's my time. Let me, let me pray for us. God, thank you so much um, for the opportunity to speak and the opportunity to read your word. And thank you for Luke 6 and just the way that you are turning the world on its head, that you are reversing the values of this world because you see what's wrong, you see what's broken and sick and, and not working the way you made it to, and you want something more for us. And I pray that we wouldn't read these woes as a condemnation, that we're in, we're in big trouble now. But God, it's an invitation to let go of these four things because our life is not about them and to take them or leave them because that's what you would have for us. God, I pray for a heart change in myself and for everyone here as we go out that this wouldn't just be something we learned about on Sunday, but it would affect our lives in real ways. I pray that these three inner attitudes would become so foundational to us that we would live them out without even thinking about it. So we give you all the praise and glory for what's happened here today, and we just want to go out and, and live different for you. And so it's in your son's name we pray all these things. Amen. All right, that is our time, and you are sent. <laughs>